Well, the sky is falling is usually a term used to mock those who make dire predictions about imminent disaster that don't come true. But new research out of the University of British Columbia reveals there is a significant threat, or a threat at least, from above. It all has to do with space junk, all that stuff left behind in orbit, such as rocket stages, and the chances that some of it, and the increasing chances that some of it will come crashing down on us. Now, the risk has long been seen as pretty negligible. But are we tricking ourselves? In an article published this week in Nature Astronomy called Unnecessary Risks Created by Uncontrolled Rocket Reentries, researchers estimate that abandoned rocket parts in space have up to a 10% chance of severely injuring or killing someone in the next decade. Well, joining me now is Michael Byers. He's co-director of the Outer Space Institute, a professor of international relations at UBC that we've spoken to before on the show. And he is the lead author of this report. Michael, thank you so much for your time tonight. Welcome back. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So what is floating around up there, and, and, and how did you go about trying to figure out what kind of threat it poses? Well, we, we started this research uh, a year ago, um, shortly after there was a lot of uh, media attention worldwide to uh, a Chinese um, rocket stage that had been abandoned in orbit after the Chinese launched a module for their space station. And this rocket stage that they abandoned um, weighed 20 tons. That's 20 tons empty without fuel. And uh, it was going to come down in an uncontrolled way. And there was a lot of concern that it might strike a major city. It didn't. It uh, it came down uh, in the ocean and, and everyone was safe. Um, but the fact that there was so much uh, attention and criticism from other countries, from other governments, prompted us to, to look, first of all, at whether the Chinese had tried to control this rocket stage to, to bring it down safely and avoid any risk. And no, they had not. They just abandoned it. Um, and then we discovered that other countries um, were engaging in, in the same practice. So roughly 60% of all space launches result in one of these rocket stages being left to drift in orbit until they come down eventually because there's a small amount of gas in orbit and so a little bit of drag and eventually they come down and and they come down in a completely random way and you know that struck us as something pretty important um there's a, a dramatic increase in the number of space launches um as uh, companies like spacex start installing uh, mega constellations of thousands of broadband satellites in orbit. Um, so we, we, we did some serious science and, and came up with some really interesting findings. Yeah, tell me about those, because you did sort of try to determine a low case and a high, sort of upper end and lower end of the threat. And either way, it was it was significant. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not super high, but it's, it's you know, 6, 10% is, is high enough if you're standing on Earth. Well, yeah, especially if you're the person who's hit, right? Um, yeah, indeed. And uh, and yeah, the, the 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 risk is is statistically small, um, but uh, it's higher if you live roughly thirty degrees north of the equator. Um, so, in a, a mega city uh, like uh, Mumbai or Mexico City. And, and that's because a lot of these rocket stages are used uh, for launches to geosynchronous orbit, um, to, to put satellites uh, 35,000 kilometers above the Earth, where they're essentially moving, they're rotating the same speed as the Earth, and so they're stationary above a particular point on the ground. So for things like 
satellite TV, you want the satellite in geosynchronous orbit and the rocket stage is abandoned on an orbit near the equator and so it comes down near the equator. And so the, the countries of the global south are at roughly a three times higher risk of having someone killed by a piece of rocket body than someone living in Alberta. And uh, um, yeah, that was interesting because we know that northern developed countries have been exporting risk to southern developing countries on other issues. Um, you know, whether it's consumer electronics at the end of their life being exported to the global south or whether it's greenhouse gas emissions produced mostly in the north having impacts in the south. Um, so this is not a new story, but it's an interesting finding, I think. And the other thing we found out is that none of this is necessary because we now have the technologies to ensure that every single rocket stage is brought back in a controlled manner. You just have to use a, a rocket that has an engine that can reignite, and you need to reserve enough fuel for that reentry burn so that you can bring it back in a controlled way. And 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 it's possible, and, and you know, there are companies and countries that are doing this already, at least part of the time, and we think it's now appropriate to call for a a new standard, a global standard that says that we need to transition to fully controlled reentries. Because in the paper itself, you do point out that there are a number of sort of rules, conventions in place, but there are no real rules against this, are there? No, there, there is an international um, treaty on liability. So if someone is killed on the ground, then the, the country that launched the rocket or, or licensed the company that launched the rocket is absolutely liable for that damage. So there's a possibility of, of compensation being required. But as far as we can tell, these countries and companies are simply treating this risk as a cost of doing business, that they're not seeking to remove the risk. And we wouldn't allow that in the aviation industry, right? You wouldn't want governments to let Air Canada or WestJet take a small chance with people's lives in order to save money. We just don't allow it. So we think it's time to subject the space industry to the same strict um, safety regime. You did point out in your paper as well that, in fact, while the uh, the first example you were talking about uh, of a Chinese um, Long March rocket fell into the Indian Ocean, uh, there was an incident in 2020 where they actually crashed into a village in the uh, in Ivory Coast, right? partially in in reentry and and fragmented into pieces but but some of the harder pieces larger pieces uh, do make it to the ground and this was a 12 meter long pipe that ended up um, in a village uh, in, in the Ivory Coast now that 12 meter long pipe um 10 minutes earlier had been flying over New York City right well, <laughs> and of course yes and, and imagine a 12 meter long pipe coming down at high velocity into central Manhattan, right? Um, yeah. And we don't look at these, you know, high casualty, mass casualty scenarios in this paper. That That's a subject for further research, but there certainly is a risk that, you know, a, a large piece could hit the downtown core of a, a city 
hit a an apartment building. Um, and it's also possible that a piece, even a small piece, could hit a an aircraft in flight. So you know, you can imagine what you know, ten kilograms of rocket body of titanium would do if it struck a Boeing triple seven in flight. Um, you know, it would it would kill four hundred people. Um, those are worst case scenarios, and we haven't tried to do the the risk analysis in terms of the statistical risk yet. But it's another reason why we should get on top of this issue and say, look, it's time to move to to a controlled reentry regime. Why haven't we taken this more seriously? I mean, looking through your paper and looking through some of the other writings about about this issue, uh, it's sort of, I gather, been long presumed that the threat was relatively minimal, but uh, but clearly, clearly, it's not. Yeah, and look, we're we're slow as societies, as countries, to to make rules about about bad things that haven't happened yet. So we we talk in the paper about the Exxon Valdez oil spill off the coast of Alaska more than three decades ago. Up until that point, most of the oil tankers in the world had single hulls. That's what industry wanted. It saved money in terms of the cost of shipbuilding. There were some people who were saying, look, we should have a requirement of double hulls to provide extra protection against oil spills. They were ignored. The Exxon Valdez accident happened. The National uh, Transportation Safety Board in the United States found that if it had had a double hull, that the oil spill would not have happened or would have been significantly reduced. And within a year, the U.S. government mandated double hulls on all new tankers using United States ports. And two years later, the International Maritime Organization adopted the same rule for the entire world. So we've done this before, right? This shipping example, double hulls, I like because it's transportation in an area beyond national jurisdiction, the oceans, just like space, in the sense that it's beyond national territory. And we've adopted rules. What I want to see is us adopting these rules before a serious accident occurs, not waiting until that accident happens and then, you know, do the rulemaking after the fact. Yeah, if you remember back to those images of the Exxon Valdez, certainly one wouldn't, uh, you know, at that point, the double hull uh, became such a, you know, in hindsight, it became such a no-brainer. But at the time, of course, you're right, lots of different pressures within the industry meant that it hadn't happened until something uh, devastating did happen when it could have been prevented. I'm speaking with Michael Byers. He's co-director of the Outer Space Institute, a professor of international relations at the University of British Columbia. He's also the lead author of a new report about uh, the dangers uh, potentially of, of space junk, as we often call it, uh, plummeting to Earth and doing damage down here as there's more and more of it up there. Uh, there aren't any real rules in place necessarily. And also perhaps most vexing about it all, it's preventable, at least for future rocket launches, all of them. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we get back. We're talking the threat of things falling from space, space junk landing on us. There are more rockets up there, uh, more rocket, at least to parts up there, uh, circling around. What goes up must come down to some extent. Uh, and the threat is uh, is there. It's also preventable, which is what we've been talking about. Uh, my guest this half hour is Michael Byers. He's co-director of the Outer Space Institute, uh, lead author of a recent report on this very topic, and of course, a professor of international relations at UBC. Uh, you did mention this in the paper, and I thought it was interesting the way you, you, you sort of um, 
describe what could happen if one of these things were to fall to Earth and and and, and you and do damage. And when you mentioned the Exxon Valdez, of course, which not only did damage to uh, waters off the coast of Alaska, but also waters off the coast of BC, this could be an international incident too if something were to go wrong. And who knows where that could end up? Well, yes, and uh, you know, imagine if uh, a uh, large piece of debris from a Chinese rocket were to hit Manhattan and kill several hundred people, that would be an international incident. Um, and, uh, and the U.S. government was critical of, of the Chinese practice of abandoning these large rocket stages. But we also looked into what the United States does. And what's interesting here is the, the U.S. government has a guideline that uh, every rocket launch um, must have uh, less than a, a 1 in 10,000 chance of, of killing someone as a result of a returning rocket body, which sounds like a pretty high standard, except they regularly waive the requirement because it's only a guideline. And uh, really? we looked at the practice of NASA and the U.S. Department of Defense, and, and you know, about half the time they they tell the, the company they've contracted for a, a satellite launch that, that it's okay to proceed, even though the, the casualty risk is higher than one in 10,000. Um, and that's to save the company's money because they're using older rockets that can't reignite their engines and, and come back in a controlled way. Um, now, we think this is particularly egregious because if any customer can afford to pay for a, a safe launch, it's the U.S. government. And uh, there's therefore a, a problem with an absence of leadership on this issue. We're, we're hoping by drawing attention to it, we can get the U.S. government to do what it does on a lot of issues, which, which is actually to show leadership, right? They were the ones that, that led the requirement for a double hull on oil tankers. Um, so we think they should you know, take the lead and do the same thing here. You must be concerned that nothing will happen until something bad happens. Yeah, uh, that's uh, always a concern. But um, you know, as as a researcher, what I can do is is uh, you know study issues closely, uh, come up with with you know convincing evidence that there's a problem, and then you know explain that uh, both to to politicians and government officials and, and and industry leaders, and also to the general public, like I'm doing right now. Because right. if you have knowledge, then you're choosing not to act rather than not acting because you're uncertain that there's a problem. I have about two minutes left. In terms of cost, because clearly this is a cost issue, right? Uh, I mean, if, if each of them could, in fact, be brought back safely um, and in a controlled manner, to use the term, uh, how expensive would it be to just do that for all these launches? It doesn't strike me as being egregiously expensive. Well, it shouldn't be. And there's one company, SpaceX, which is actually landing most of its first stages, its large rocket stages, landing them on four legs and using them again and again and again and saving a ton of money by doing that. Um, you know, SpaceX also manages to bring most of its second stages back in a controlled manner, but not always. And one thing we found is that occasionally when SpaceX is launching a a satellite to geosynchronous orbit way up you know, 35,000 kilometers above the Earth's surface, they, they use up all the fuel in the second stage to, to get the satellite as high as possible to reduce the time that the satellite then has to use up while it's lifting itself with its own thrusters. 
So they're trying to save their customers time. They use up all the fuel on that second stage, and it's abandoned. And it's abandoned on what's called a geotransfer orbit, which is highly elliptical. And so the lowest part of the orbit comes relatively close to Earth, catches a lot of atmospheric drag, and comes down in a few months. And and SpaceX did exactly this just just last month. So at some point in the next month or two, a SpaceX second stage is going to come back in an uncontrolled manner and uh, you know, could potentially kill someone. Completely unavoidable, just doing it to save the customer some time. Michael Byers, a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much uh, for sharing all that information. I'll be uh, I'll be looking up in a different way for the next little while. <laughs> Thanks uh, for that. Always a pleasure to talk about what I do. Thank you.